Coming up on the WAC podcast, Rachel visits with WAC Commissioner Jeff Hurd. They talk about the suspension of fall sports and what the spring might be looking like. Plus, we'll also be talking with former New Mexico State star Tatiana Battle about being a leader this past decade in volleyball and now her job at UTEP as an assistant. We will look forward to that. That's all ahead on the WAC podcast. Today's episode of the WAC podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference. Now here are your hosts, Eric Danner and Rachel Vigil. Welcome to the WAC podcast in Denver, Colorado. We are sitting inside our WAC Digital Network studio today. I'm Rachel Vigil alongside Eric Danner. Eric, we're in the studio. We are. First time uh, when we had the studio air quotes built uh, this this was one of the things we were thinking about actually we didn't even have a podcast when we first uh, were talking about this but uh, looking forward to using it in the upcoming year unfortunately Rachel the axe finally fell this week we had a feeling it was coming uh, once the uh, Big Ten and Pac-12 pulled their fall sports uh, everybody else started to fall in line the whack officially uh, postponing or suspending fall sports uh, this past Thursday Health and safety were number one guides, obviously, for that decision. And Commissioner Jeff Hurd said that, too. He will also be on the WAC podcast. He was a part of our WAC All Access, so you can listen to that in the next segment. However, that was one of the main things, health and safety, the biggest key. It is, and it's it's um, so unfortunate. And we were talking with Jeff a little bit after the interview as well that we never would have thought back on March 12th, March 11th, when all this stuff started to hit, that we'd be sitting here August 17th, August 18th, and the fall sports are postponed or suspended at this point. Uh, so unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, as you said, I mean, it, the health and safety of the student athletes, of the, the staff, that's, that's of most importance right now. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it's, it's not uh, to the safety level for, for a lot of conferences. Now there are still a handful that are going to give it a go. A couple are giving it a go, and we, I think we all know that those conferences have quite big pockets too, so that definitely helps. But They, they do, and actually in our next segment, uh, we're going to have Tatiana Battle, who is the WAC decade leader in kills in volleyball and also in points, and Tatiana is now an assistant coach at UTEP, and Conference USA was one of those conferences I had not seen officially cancel yet i think the Sun Belt was another one to go along with the sec acc and big 12 and uh rolling the dice rolling the dice i mean hopefully you know we, we don't we, we want everything to work well so we hope everything works well and we get back to sports uh, november 1st is still the date we're looking at for winter sports starting up now uh, everybody thinks basketball with winter sports but there's also swimming and diving indoor track and field so we hope those sports in terms of practice and all that good stuff can get started november 1st saw the pac-12 actually already moved their start date for competition for basketball to january 1st i think the ivy league has also done that i think most conferences are like the whack right now we're kind of wait and see let's put it at november if we can get there great if not then you have the wiggle room you know to potentially push it back i think that's one of the main parts too is like Let's not make a harsh decision to go to January 1st right off the bat. Let's see if this is possible. We have no idea what's going to happen in the upcoming months. Like you said, we had no clue even in or March that we would be here in August kind of discussing this too. So let's put it at November 1st. If it can happen, fantastic. We would all love for basketball season, swimming and diving, indoor track and field to start up. But if not, we'll move it back and hopefully still have a season. And then on the same date, 
the WAC announced uh, the, the postponement suspension of fall sports, the, the NCAA came out and said they were doing the same thing. They, they had, we had talked about this last week on the podcast, the 50% threshold. Once that was met, uh, then they went ahead and postponed or suspended. Uh, I, I keep saying that, but that's kind of where we're at with it. And uh, Mark Emmert uh, actually had a conversation with Andy Katz. Andy Katz, uh, of course, used to be on ESPN. Now he works for the NCAA. He had an interview with Mark Emmert uh, after that announcement. And he talked about uh, what might happen with those fall sports uh, moving to the spring. A couple things have to occur, Andy, and, there, and there's one that's really, really important. We have to give highest priority to the winter and spring sports because they lost their championship last March. We made that horrible, awful, but necessary choice to shut down, didn't have Frozen Four, didn't have Final Fours, didn't have World Series and softball and baseball or track championships, lacrosse. We we lost all of that. We got to say, first and foremost, we're going to protect those spaces. But then when we look at it and say, look, if if we modify the model, which we need to do anyway because of the virus, if we modify the model shrink the bracket sizes, do some, do everything in predetermined sites instead of running kids around the country, use predetermined sites, move toward bubbles or semi-bubble models in volleyball, let's say, or, or soccer. Um, there's, there's a way to do it. Will it be normal? Of course not. It'll be, you'll be playing a fall sport in the spring. Will it create other conflicts and challenges? Of course. But is it doable? Yeah. So Rachel, I mean, at, at the very most we'd be looking at probably a reduced season for the fall sports in the spring just because there isn't enough time i i guess and potentially reduced fields and that uh, that could possibly include the the uh, men's basketball tournament could you imagine having all of the sports in pretty much one season you know it's it's pretty crazy i know um the Colorado High School Activities Association, we do the show here in Denver right now, they came out with a plan. They moved football, soccer, volleyball to the spring, and they have shortened seasons. So football is only going to be two months. Baseball is only going to be two months. So it impacts all sports, but they're trying to get them all in. And, and their idea there is they don't want to not have the opportunities for student athletes to play a sport, especially in high school where you play multiple sports. And there might have to be a similar model. The other option might be, moving you know later into the into the summer i mean we see the college world series always goes through the end of june already for baseball maybe if if basketball gets pushed back or you know we we could see you know maybe some championships june july depending on you know what's agreed to i love the conversations right now that are going on about how people are saying you can't have football in the spring and then have like the nfl season start in the fall i think for these players no matter what they would just want to play you know, they would. They, they just want to go out there and play, even if that means they get two months of a break. And really, for being honest, if you're going pro, you don't ever have a break. You're continuously working out. So I don't I don't really see an issue with it. I mean, yeah, your body may take a little bit of a bigger hit. Granted, I'm also not a professional <laughs> athlete or a collegiate athlete now. So I just find that like argument very interesting. Well, one of the things, uh, obviously, the NFL you know, is the biggest sport in America, but MLS, who you work for, the draft is in January, and it's right after the season ends. And then those student athletes, you know, sometimes they'll graduate, you know, at the, in December, and then go right into playing professional soccer, not really have an off season. Now, soccer, football, two different things, but soccer's still taxing on the body, and they don't have that recuperation time, so they do go right from 
basically collegiate sports to professional sports in about a month. I've even talked to some of the players with the Rapids who I work with and uh, kind of off camera and just on the side, but asking them this season right now is playoffs supposed to be in November cup in a December season starting up again in January, <laughs> February. And I've asked them like, how hard is that? And they say, you just do it. That's your job. You just show up and you do what you can. It's not like you get to complain and do anything else. You just do it. And watching when you, when you were in the bubble and watching the Rapids play and, you know, playing at 1030 at night in, in Orlando where it's super steamy out there. You could really tell, especially the first game, it looked like the players were really gassed after not having played for a few months. So that throws everything into this as well, where you know where you might be playing a bunch of months consecutively after a three or four month layoff. And it's another thing, like you just do it, right? Who wants to play a game at 10.30 at night? Who wants to leave their family to go down to the bubble for... Uh, Portland did it and they won the um, MLS's back cup, but they were gone for 41 days. Like no one wants to do that. You just do it because it's your job. And luckily in these times too, I mean, even the NHL um, Bruins goalie, whose name is, um, I can't think of right now, you know, he decided to opt out. He was like, there's bigger things than um, hockey right now. Right. So yeah, there's, and uh, student athletes are, are having the opportunity to opt out as, as well uh, for the time being anyway. Uh, NCAA senior vice president, Dan Gavitt uh, did say, there will be March Madness in 2021. Now, I don't think he has a crystal ball that we cannot see, but uh, just showing that the determination will be to have a tournament, if at all possible, uh, this upcoming year. And that there is talk about uh, possibly reduced fields, uh, playing in uh, separate bubbles, you know, maybe having four bubbles and then going to the Final Four, something like that. But uh, folks are at the NCAA seem uh, pretty pretty staunch that they want to have a tournament this year bold statement that's for <laughs> dang is sure and I, I think everyone wants to have march madness two years without march madness we couldn't do it heartbreaking heartbreaking to say the least a stadium came out with their top five whack assistant men's basketball coaches they've been kind of going through each conference in this past week they did uh, the whack and there was a co uh, number one between james miller of New Mexico State and Jay Stedman of UTRGV. We uh, profiled Jay Stedman on uh, Learn, Compete, Inspire a few years ago after he had a health issue, and he's uh, back doing well, and he's the uh, co-number one guy. And James Miller, a guy uh, I know back from my RMAC days, Rachel, when he was at CSU Pueblo. So uh, congratulations to both James and Jay on, on getting that uh, consideration this year. I would love to know how Stadium figured this out. They said that they pulled uh, at least 20 coaches, primarily assistants, and asked them to name the top assistants in their respective league. So I think it's interesting, and I wonder if it's based off of points, because you're right, there's two number ones there with James Miller and then Jay Stedman. James Miller also graduated from Colorado State. Go Rams. I just have to put that in there. And then if you haven't been able to see the Jay Stedman story, I would highly recommend anybody to log on to our YouTube page or Facebook page because it is really a fantastic story. Yeah, that was uh, the, the swan song of uh, of, uh, of your predecessor, Jesse Punch. Yes. Did a fantastic job with that uh, before she went on to NASCAR. Uh, keeping it in basketball here, uh, Rachel, uh, A.J. Harris, it was announced his, uh, he had applied to, for a sixth year of eligibility, and that was denied uh, by the NCAA. A.J. was injured uh, this past year, and he was a topic we had talked about quite a bit uh, leading up to the tournament, and as we're getting ready for the broadcast, is, is he going to play? Uh, are they going to arrest him? Are they going to save him for the NCAAs if they make it to the NCAAs? And unfortunately for A.J., he does not get that opportunity uh, to play another year. 
Yeah, AJ has a really unique story for his, like, final season. I was actually at the Utah Valley New Mexico State game, and he had gotten on Twitter, and he said, I will not be returning. It's just um, with this injury, it's not going to happen. And then, you know, he made that statement on Twitter. The tweet is there. And then he ended up did making it and coming back and playing for a little bit um, to hopefully play in the tournament, obviously, New Mexico State not having the opportunity to. But if I'm being honest, it doesn't surprise me that he was not denied. Um, it's he, sad, but yeah, it doesn't yeah. surprise and, me. And AJ was, was in a situation, he started his career at Ohio State, transferred to New Mexico State where you have to sit out a year. And if you remember when we talked to Marlon Edge last week, who's the Associate Commissioner for Compliance, he, he talked about the clock. And when you start uh, playing college athletics, there's a certain clock that you have to get uh, the four years in by. And that's why they had to apply for a waiver uh, because he had already surpassed that. So, uh, but you think a guy like AJ, if he's healthy, he might have a chance to play overseas or, or professionally somewhere. Hopefully, wherever he can get his hands on a ball, he will do well, and we wish him the best of luck. Wanted to also congratulate Jesse Ray and Hannah Bruce, the WAC NCAA Woman of the Year nominees. We had Hannah Bruce on the podcast a few weeks back, and she's going to be heading to Oxford uh, this fall, so very exciting. And that was one where you were in Orlando. Yep. I was in Colorado Springs, and then she was in uh, in Canada. Yep. And she was in that far eastern part of Canada that's actually a different time zone than the eastern time zone. Yep. But uh, uh, also, Jesse, right, you're going to be talking with her this Tuesday, on Tuesday I believe, right? Tuesday, yep. On Tuesday, we're going to be able to sit down and chat and just talk about her season. Obviously, she won MVP at the Women's Soccer Tournament last year. And then, of course, being the NCAA Woman of the Year and what her future now holds with COVID and just with graduating and everything. So excited to sit down and chat with her. Yeah, I was putting together a video package on uh, Jesse and Hannah being nominated. And in the championship game, Jesse Ray's uh, game-winning goal or match-winning goal to go to the NCAAs, Hannah is, uh, is in the frame with her because Hannah's a defensive player, Jesse an offensive player. Jesse got the best of her on that. But uh, both were outstanding, uh, not only soccer players, but uh, students in the classroom. Uh, Hannah had a 4-0. Jesse had a, a great grade point average as well. And uh, cell and molecular biology, I believe, yep. was the, <laughs> the category. So congratulations to both of them. Staying with soccer, uh, Blake Frischnick, who was our – uh, Wackman's Offensive Player of the Year last year. He just signed a contract in the United uh, Soccer League for the Las Vegas Lights. So he was injured. Uh, I don't remember if it happened during the tournament. Happened or during the tournament, yeah. And, and he was not able to play in the championship game. I don't remember if he played in the semifinal as well, or, or that might have been when the injury happened. But anyway, he has not played since then. That was back in November. And so uh, good for Blake that he uh, had the opportunity to play his first game for the Las Vegas Lights. Yes. Of, of the USL, and I guess uh, Blake is actually a hometown kid. He's from Las Vegas. Oh, I did not know yeah. that. Yeah, that I mean, to be able to play in front of, like, your friends and family and go back home, that's really well, awesome. I don't know if they're able to play in their friends and family since COVID. But. It's a very good point, good point, you know. <laughs> Maybe on, on – uh, Soon, know, eventually, maybe. Yeah. Yes, you'd have no idea. But um, yeah, he said on Twitter, after eight long months of rehab and physical therapy, I have signed my first professional contract. So that's incredible. A lot of therapy goes into those injuries, I know, and it's no e- easy turnaround. So I'm happy for Blake. And yeah, I think it was, I think he got her in the semifinal of the WAC tournament. Yeah, so so congratulations to Blake uh, getting that opportunity to play professionally. Uh, this week, we are looking back on the decade in WAC Volleyball and uh, the top point getter in WAC Volleyball or top in points and kills Tatiana Battle from New Mexico State. We're going to talk to her a little bit later in the show and it's kind of interesting because 
she's gone to the rival Rachel, she's she's wearing the orange of UTEP, but uh, is has gotten into coaching. I know the the head coach at UTEP uh, is a former uh, New Mexico State assistant, so they're, I think they're on f- somewhat friendly terms, even though the uh, the fans might not be. But I think the volleyball programs are are somewhat uh, simpatico there. I think yeah, the fans are probably the ones that hold the most grudges compared to coaches. But it'll be great to talk to Katiana. I'm really excited to just kind of see how. I mean, what's testing like now that they are going forward with the season? What is all of that looking like? Plus, it's, I mean, she was a former player, obviously. So right. is there any little bit of hatred there or is it just completely? Well, and the other part of that is is with a sport like volleyball or women's soccer or men's soccer, it, it, the ones that are proceeding, there is not going to be a fall championship in the NCAA for those sports. So does that impact if they if they are going to continue moving forward? Obviously, football, Division One FBS football is a different kettle of fish because the conferences basically control that so uh, I'm interested to talk to her a little bit about that we want to talk to her about her New Mexico State career but want to get some some info on what they're uh, proceeding with as well and then in our next segment Rachel you're going to sit down with the commissioner Jeff Hurd and talk about the decision the WAC made to uh, postpone or suspend a fall sports this year lots of unknowns but still lots of answers and i feel like everyone's just hopeful that we will continue to hopefully see maybe fall sports in the spring and then have winter sports too so we will sit down and chat with him so when we come back it's going to be rachel and jeff heard on the whack podcast we would like to thank our sponsors of the whack podcast hercules tires and adidas now back to eric and rachel Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. On this segment, we're going to be chatting with WAC Commissioner Jeff Hurd about the suspension of fall sports on WAC All Access for this week. Go ahead and take a listen. Welcome to WAC All Access. I'm Rachel Hill with WAC Commissioner Jeff Hurd here to talk all things with the suspension of fall sports. Jeff, first of all, ultimately, how hard was it to make this, this decision? You know, it's, it really is difficult because you're taking away uh, opportunities for student-athletes, and I don't think any commissioner or any athletic director or any president really wants to do that. Uh, so that makes it difficult. On the other hand, because it's health and safety involved, it makes it uh, really really a situation where I believe we really didn't have a decision to make. Uh, you, have to, you have to make it in the interest of safety, in the interest of health, and you base it on the, on the best knowledge you have. And so from that standpoint, uh, it was an easy decision but at the same time, a difficult decision. What medical advice was given to kind of lead to this decision? Well, we've been on, uh, as, as part of the CCA, which is the Collegiate Commissioners Association, we have four calls a week. And one of those calls always involves uh, Dr. Brian Hainline, who's the chief medical officer from the NCAA. And so we get updates on, on where they are, on testing, where they are, uh, relative to um, <clears throat> where the virus is, what's, what's projected, what's going to happen. And, and the bottom line was we just felt from, uh, from the information we had and from our own medical advisory committee uh, that the conference has, that the information we had simply uh, didn't leave a lot of options because there are too many unknowns. And it only takes, uh, you know, one bad situation uh, in, in a, in a, in when you have a virus that's, uh, that's running rampant in the country right now. Uh, you know, if you're going to make a mistake, you're going to err on the side of caution. And we don't feel like we made a mistake, but at the same time, uh, we have to be overly cautious. You mentioned some of the unknowns. What are a few of those? Well, the unknowns are is uh, the, when a vaccine will be available, if it'll be available within the you know, relatively near future. 
uh, the extent of the virus and, and how much further it'll um, continue to progress. Uh, you know, there's different parts of the country have different reactions to it. The state of Colorado right now, we're relatively on the, on the downslide uh, from worrying too much about expansion of the virus. But there's other parts of the country and there's other parts in our own conference that are considered hotspots. And so you just don't know how much that's going to progress, how much it's going to develop, and, and whether or not you're going to be able to do anything about it as we move forward. So you have to base, base it on what you know today, what's projected, knowing that that could always change, but at the same time, uh, you know, you, you take information and you simply do what you can. Lots of board meetings over the last couple of weeks and months. Ultimately, how hard was it for the presidents and AD and board members to really make this decision? It was very difficult. We actually had three different uh, video calls with our board over a three-week span to talk about this, you know, talk about this subject and, and to decide whether we were going to suspend, cancel, or postpone spring championships. And it took to the third call, um, which actually ended up being a, an email vote, uh, but it took to that third time before that decision was finalized. Why suspend and not cancel? I think we want to leave open the possibility of conducting championships in the spring. Cancellation to us, and maybe it's a matter of semantics, but cancellation to us meant no hope for anything uh, in this academic year. We wanted to leave open the possibility of, spring of conducting our fall championships in the spring knowing also that we don't have enough information to make a definitive decision at this time, but we certainly wanted to leave that open as a, to see if it would be feasible or not. How feasible is it to have fall sports in the <laughs> spring? I know that's a tough question to answer. Very difficult one to answer and, and cannot give you a definitive one, but some of the things that have to be considered is, uh, from an institution standpoint, if you move fall to spring and you're playing fall regular season sports, soccer, volleyball, um, soccer, men's and women's, volleyball on, on, the, on the women's side, um, and, and the other fall sports, cross-country men's and women's. If you're conducting them at the same time you are now conducting winter sports and spring sports, uh, do your institutions have the facilities, the personnel, and the medical uh, uh, aspect available to properly, properly handle all those things at the same time when they're running concurrently? That's an unknown at this particular time. Also unknown is, is whether the NCA will conduct fall championships in the spring. That's a decision that still has to be made. It certainly ties into whether conferences will also conduct championships in the spring. And then a third aspect is the eligibility impact. Uh, for those fall athletes who participate in spring, and it have to be uh, probably a truncated season, uh, would they retain a year of eligibility or do they have to use a year of eligibility? So those are all questions among some others that have to be answered before a definitive decision can be made and it's going to take some time for those to develop. Winter sports right now for the WAC are supposed to start on November 1st. A lot of conferences have decided to go to January 1st. Why is the WAC starting on November 1st? Well, I, I think the, uh, you know, the, the January 1st start date, and in, in particular the Ivy League and the Pac-12 have, have put their, uh, their, their winter sports off until that date. Uh, again, it's, it's based on, to a certain extent, philosophy of that particular conference, to a certain extent, where they're located, uh, what state regulations uh, they have to follow, uh, what they project in their own, in their own geography, geographical area. 
moving forward. There are there are contingencies that are being discussed at every in every conference level, including the WAC, uh, whether or not the November start date is realistic or not. In our case, and in, in other conferences' cases, uh, we want to delay that decision as long as we possibly can. And again, to a certain extent, it'll be tied to what happens elsewhere in the country, uh, what happens regarding the NCAA tournament, if anything, if it's pushed back uh, in advance for any reason. Uh, so a lot of unanswered questions. Uh, again, it's still still a, a contingency plan, but one that uh, will probably make that decision, I would guess, in another 30 to 45 days. Some arguments I've seen about sports happening this fall is that students are already on campus and that therefore sports should be happening. So why is it not necessarily realistic for that to happen, even though students are on campus? Well, again, the, the general student body on campus in, in part in, in some places, it varies at, at different schools. But I think there's the other, the other standard is that, particularly in, in the WAX case, we're basically an airplane conference. So to conduct regular season competition, uh, for the most part, and, and there may be, a, there's an exception or two, but for the most part, we're talking about getting on airplanes and traveling uh, fairly lengthy distances, hotel stays, restaurants, that type of thing. So those are some elements that we have to consider that maybe don't have to be considered to the same extent in other conferences. The on-campus environment, that's a separate, a separate discussion that that uh, university presidents have to decide. They have to determine, are we treating our student athletes or do we need to uh, have the same environment for our student athletes as we do for regular students? And so those are all questions that um, have to be resolved, have to be answered. And uh, there's not a, unfortunately, to use a cliche, there's not a, can't be all painted with the same brush. It's different in California than it might be in Texas, than it might be in, in the state of Washington. So. Again, it takes time to, to go through all those scenarios. Professional sports teams are doing the bubble, MLS did the bubble, NBA doing the bubble. How realistic is it for college sports to do a bubble? Good question, and one that's, that, again, hard to answer. I think it's, I, I, don't, I don't want to say it's unrealistic, but I think it's difficult. I think that the difference between professional sports and collegiate sports is probably obvious, and one of the, and one of the biggest ones is resources. Uh, professional sports teams have significantly uh, greater resources than do most college conferences, most college individual college institutions. So that's one. Uh, secondly, that's the only thing that, you know, take the NBA for example. That's, that's all they do. They're playing basketball games. They're not worried about whether their, their athletes are going to, going to class at the same time, what the campus environment is. Uh, they have a very controlled environment that they're able to, to do from a, uh, you know, for, for, well, primarily because they have the resources to be able to do it. So I think it's much more difficult from a collegiate standpoint. But again, I don't think you rule anything out until you do a full, uh, full evaluation of that. And that's one of the contingencies that uh, I'm sure the NCAA office, as an office will look at. Perfect, Jeff. Well, I appreciate your time coming on Walk All Access with us, and hopefully we do have winter sports starting up on November 1st. I appreciate that, and I hope we do too. Such an interesting conversation with Jeff Hurd about the suspension of fall sports, and I think we're all hopeful that there will be winter sports and hopefully fall sports in the spring. Next up, we're going to be talking with New Mexico State star Tatiana Battle as we take a look back at the leaders of the past decade in volleyball, plus her job at now at UTEP as an assistant.
You're listening to the WAC Podcast. Hercules Tires is the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference and for over 65 years has been providing tires with unbeatable quality at an unmatched value. Whatever the vehicle and whatever the terrain, Hercules Tires invites you to ride on our strength. For a retailer near you, visit HerculesTires.com. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. For those of you watching our uh, YouTube channel, it's the first time uh, Rachel and I are in studio at the same time for the WAC Podcast. And joining us on the podcast is Tatiana Battle. We're celebrating the past decade in WAC Volleyball, Tatiana. And we're putting together the stats. And you're the all-time leader, or the leader of the decade, I should say, in kills and points for the Western Athletic Conference. Do you have any idea you, you held those titles? Not one bit. Um, when I got the message about it, I, I sat and looked at my phone for like five minutes and I was like, are they sure? Like, there's just no way. Um, and I was funny because I was out of practice with my coach, Ben Wallace, and I showed him. He was like, yeah. And I was like, no, there's no way. So um, it was definitely a shock. Like, I just never expected it. Um, but I, it was kind of like, I guess, like, nice to know, like, oh, okay, I kind of did something good <laughs> in my time. So, um, but they, I just never expected. There were so many great players that I knew and that I played against that I was, like, for sure that, you know, that was theirs. And I guess since it was two years ago since I finished, I, in my mind, I was like, okay, it's like, you know, all the awards and everything's over. So I was definitely shocked to get this information. When you think about your name being number one on the record book, what really goes through your head there? Just shock for sure. I'm like, are you sure? Like, again, like I was just kind of rejecting it at first. Um, but I mean, it just makes me um, very thankful for my teammates and my coaches teaching me and building me up all the sets that I got in every game. Like, you know, just now I couldn't have done any of it or gotten any achievement or award without them surrounding me, helping me. I had a chance to, to talk to you right last time. It was in Bakersfield, California at the WAC tournament, and you were named MVP of that. You're really known as, as an all-around player, uh, not just kills, but getting a lot of digs, and, and you're MVP of that tournament. Uh, looking back on your collegiate career, would you say that was uh, your, your crowning achievement? Was that tournament, or do you have some other uh, games or matches that stand out? Um, I think one of our favorite ones from my senior year was when we played Arizona and beat them. Um, because that was like the first time in my four years that we had finally like crossed the line of beating a top ranked team. We had played Arizona so many times in my career. We played them in the spring, in the fall. Um, and so just finally being able to like get over the line of beating a higher ranked team, I think for us was a really big accomplishment. Um, and so I would have to say that might be one of my highest points um, in my career, just because I felt like the team was so connected and everybody was like on the same page. Um, could finally step into like taking down top ranked teams. So, are there any other ones that really are just like one of those big shining moments for you? Um, that was the top. I let me think. I mean, yeah, I guess like winning the tournament again because we had lost the two seasons before. So that was obviously frustrating going in ranked number one. Um, and then finally, my senior year, our motto was unconditionalness. Um, going into senior year because we knew like you know we were we were always called to be um, first and so like we felt like we'd let the fans down ourselves down our coaches down being able to pull through in those wins those two years my sophomore and junior year so um, 
we went into senior year with unfinished business and I think because our chemistry on the off the court was so great it transferred on to the court and so um just having everybody on the same page you could just feel the fire within everybody um that was definitely a high I mean the whole senior season just because of the connection and you mentioned the unfinished business that year as a freshman 2015 you guys did win the tournament go to the NCAAs but in 16 and 17 you were uh, you lost in the tournament coming back in 18 and I remember uh, the the performance you had Tatiana was one of the best we've seen uh, in recent memory in the WAC tournament uh, did you have an extra chip on your shoulder when uh, Mexico State took the floor in that tournament so actually the tournament my senior year <laughs> for me I felt like was like the worst I had played all year um which surprising like the final game when I looked at the stat book I hit positive I think I had like 16 or something kills so I was really shocked because I felt like I was just not pulling through the way that I needed to for my game um and so I again like the best part of that is when you feel like you're not doing as much as you could your team picks you up and carries you through it so um something my coaches kept telling me was like focus on other parts of your game if you're not able to like get the kills right now like focus on your digging or your serving or your communication and stuff so um being able to like have that support around you to be like how to balance it out with your teammates and everybody was really helpful but um I mean that team and even you saw like last year how just great they were off the uh, on the court is because that kept you flowed over so how much do you miss that that grind of the everyday of being a student athlete um it's like half and half <laughs> <laughs> just because I'm I don't miss being like exhausted going into class after practice or something but I do miss um being around my teammates every day and pushing each in weights or in practice or conditioning whatever it is like um the first few months after I finished you know everybody kind of goes through the like okay I'm done I get to relax and then when I came to UTEP seeing them play and I was like oh I want to go back out there like it's definitely a weird transition for sure nobody really talks about it a lot I think and so um being able to like be around um retired athletes like some of the coaches at Utah or even just my friends from state that played um being able to like talk to them about it like how do you deal with this like um going from playing to not playing it's definitely a weird transition so you miss for sure but then it helps you to like appreciate everything a little bit more. Now, when you were in high school, you went to high school in Albuquerque. You were the New Mexico uh, High School State Player of the Year. You won the championship your senior year. Was there any thought of, of staying in Albuquerque, uh, going to UNM, or, or going to another school besides Mexico State? Um, I had a few other offers that I was considering at the time, for sure. Um, I will say State was kind of like the most consistent with me. Um, uh, for UNM, I, I thought about it like my earlier years playing. Um, so my dad went to UNM. He played basketball there like in the 70s. And so, you know, there was always like, oh, like, oh, where your dad went. Um, and it was definitely weird, I guess, going to state when he went to UNM, like the rivalry and stuff. But I was kind of interested in getting away but not being too far from home. So, I mean, three hours is, is you know, you can get home in a day, but it's still like your own city that you're in where you can kind of grow up without your parents having to be there and figure things out on your own. Um, and so I really like that. And Northern New Mexico and Southern New Mexico are still pretty different in my opinion. So it was kind of like a whole new world because Africa is a lot bigger. Las Cruces is a lot smaller. Um, but yeah, I thought about you at first, but I was like, you know what? I don't want to have to like 
rush home if something goes wrong. Like I want to at least be able to stay somewhere where I can have the people around me to help me figure out what's going on. So it wasn't, you know, obviously it's not too far away, but I, I definitely wanted to get away and go somewhere else. So that's how I was in college. I was like, I want to get far enough away that they can't like just come up all the time, but still be close enough that if something goes wrong, you can always go back home, right? Exactly. You mentioned your dad playing basketball, though. Did you play any other sports growing up, or was it strictly volleyball? Um, started off in basketball. They started me when I was four, <laughs> and I have like pictures of me when I was four. Um, my older sister, she actually played basketball at Texas Tech. She's older than me, so she played. Her senior year was like my senior year of high school. So um, we both started off really young, but for me, I just never connected with basketball. Um, but I did. Oh, we did we did dancing for a while, um, tennis lessons. I did track and field for a while. My mom actually coached track for club for like three years. Um, but when I was in sixth grade, she like there's this volleyball um, camp for Rio Rancho High School. I remember it was the summer going in sixth grade, and uh, I was like, "What's volleyball?" Like I we were a basketball family, so I just didn't really even know what that was. And she took me to the camp, and I just loved it ever since so I started playing when I was 11 and from then on I kind of just stuck to volleyball. Now when you graduated uh, from Mexico State when you were done with your eligibility in 2018 are, are there professional opportunities in volleyball and, and did you have any, anything like that? Um yeah so my head coach Mike Jordan talked to me about like possibly playing after I was done and he was trying to really like help me like get connected with um like agents or like he knew some of his older players had played and so he was trying to like connect me with them and get me talking to them so there was definitely possibilities there's more like OPs that I know of than I know in the states um but that's just my personal knowledge of it um I think the only reason why I didn't was because my senior year I had a stress fracture in my foot um so the whole year I was actually not practicing I was just playing so I think after I was done, I kind of want to just give my foot a break and just like, you know, move forward. But it kind of worked out because then that's when Ben reached out. He got the job, offered me the graduate assistant spot. So it all kind of like played out well. So What was that like not practicing, but only playing? I mean, that's not like the typical student athlete life, right? Yeah, that was weird. Um, I remember going to the doctor and he was like, like I don't I don't think she's playing on this because it could break fully at any time um and that was tough because I think I missed like the red shirt part of it by one game like if I wouldn't have played one game I could have redshirted but I had just missed the cutoff so um going to the doctor he was like I don't think this is smart but if you are going to play you only can play and cannot practice you can't walk on it so I was going through campus on a little scooter and <laughs> um it was just it was hard like not practicing in a way it was I guess it's nice for your body the older you get to kind of like take some time off but um not being able to like get those reps and practice with my team was difficult so I tried to if I couldn't play physically like tried to be there um just speaking to them and be encouraging to them and stuff so um, that was definitely difficult, but I knew, like, this is my last year. I need to play. Like, my team's important. We have unfinished business to take them. So um, I, it was definitely difficult, but it was great to have, like, the support of my team, everybody behind me. And then when you get done with New Mexico State, you go uh, down the road to El Paso, and, and Ben Wallace 
the head coach at Utah volleyball, who had been an assistant at New Mexico State. Is that uh, is that how that uh, took place? That you wound up on the minor staff? Yeah. So he he I think he got the job in either December or January, um, and then he found out that they could have a graduate assistant position. So he reached out to me, um, and I was like, "Wow, that's perfect," because I was still trying to figure out what to do. So um, it was just like perfect timing of him saying like, you know what, do you want to come get your master's? Do you want to help these girls with, you know, like the knowledge that you've been given of the game? So it's been really great for me to like be able to pass down what he's given me or other coaches have given me to these girls for sure. Do you ever look at what your old coaches have previously done and how you see it in yourself a little bit of like transferring that knowledge to the student athletes at UTEP? All the time. It's weird. You know, when you receive it from them, like, sometimes you don't even think about it. And, like, once you're trying to teach the girls, you're like, oh, I guess I was paying attention or I was listening. And so um, it is really cool because I guess you don't even realize how much you from them. Sometimes, like, when you're playing, it kind of just comes or they teach you and you don't even think about it. But to relay the information for sure, like, makes you appreciative of all that they have given you. So. So last Thursday, the Western Athletic Conference announced that we're uh, suspending fall sports, uh, potentially picking it up in the spring, as many other conferences have done. And the NCAA announced the uh, fall championships would also uh, potentially be in the spring at UTEP, uh, which is Conference USA. Uh, where, where do you stand right now? Uh, I know football, I believe, is continuing. What's what's the story with volleyball? So it's changing like every day, the decisions that are but um I know football is supposed to play like in a month, and so it kind of depends on them playing or not. Um, so, so far, we have a season still. We're going to play conference games um, this year, hopefully. But, I mean, it could change tomorrow. It could change in the next hour. Um, so, I know, like, the athletic directors for all of the Conference USA schools are trying to fight for girls to play. And um, hopefully just, you know, conference games or even, like, double the conference games. Um, I just know they want to try their best to give them a season. So, but I mean, you just never know <laughs> this year, like so uncertain. So it could change within the next hour or two. So. Do you have any idea what the testing requirements are like for the student app going forward with the season? I think so. I mean, it's been so crazy. I think they probably have to get a test every week. Um, trying to figure out if they, they have to get it, like, clean every game is going to be difficult for sure. So I'm sure they're going to have to, like, change the schedule. I've already had to get three tests, um, not because we had symptoms, but just because, like, being here, you got to keep being uh, so. I mean, that's, that's always difficult because you don't want something going up to your brain. I mean, it's obviously for the safety of everybody. So I'm sure it's going to have to be at least once or twice a week for sure. Now, when you initially got the job at UTEP, Tatiana, was was it weird putting on the orange? And, and what did Coach Jordan uh, say when, when you uh, went down the street there? Oh, so. uh, he was so funny. He was like, I can't even look at you in that. Like, don't even start with me. <laughs> um, but at first, it was really weird. I'm not going to lie, because that's always like your rival school. So it was weird for me at first. But then I had to turn it into thinking about just the girls. Um, and the people instead of school so thinking about like the athletes that I'm with like thinking about how to help them rather than what's on their shirt 
for sure. Um, that helped me a lot to transition from like just blocking out where you are and focusing on the people that are there. Are you able to stay in contact with Jordan yeah, um, every now and then um, I'll text him or he'll text me a lot. Lapton, he would message me about like how the girls were doing and stuff like that. Um, I remember he sent me on Ainsworth, who were the seniors my senior year. He was like, I miss you guys so much. So, um, and last year I went to a few of the games because I was so close. Um, but every time I go back, everyone's always so mean. It's always like a second home to go to. And I still talk to like Megan Hart. She's one of my best friends. So we'll talk like every week, sometimes almost every day. It's really because um, we're busy now. I still talk to a lot of the girls and um, I've gotten some great friendships and the staff, everybody from New Mexico State is always awesome. Tatiana, I want to thank you for taking some time out to, uh, again, congratulations on being one of the top players of the decade in the WAC Bowling. Thank you. I want to wish you continued success, even if it is in the, uh, the Orange of Utah. Gotcha. Thank you. I appreciate you guys for reaching out for sure. All right. That's Tatiana Battle. We also talked to Jeff Bird. And we want to thank everybody for listening to the WAC Podcast. Thanks for listening to the WAC Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And check out our website at WACSports.com.